In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Earlier this week, I... Is this on? It is on. Okay. Earlier this week, I was at a meeting and I saw an old friend who is uh, not a Christian. He's a Hindu by tradition, uh, but is curious and... and, um, always uh, inquisitive about our faith and what we're doing. And we were talking about this or that, and then at one point he said, well, um, if I could change the subject, I have a question for you. So I was listening, and he said, what do you say to your congregation about the shootings in Texas? And I took a breath, and I thought, well, I wanted to answer as honestly as possible. And I said, well, I, I think we, whenever something like that happens, uh, this unspeakable kind of tragedy, um, we pray for the victims, we pray for all those involved, we pray for government leaders and systems, um, we pray for people, but, but then probably in my preaching more than anything, what I try to do is is focus on something that we can change. Um, For example, I probably myself cannot do a whole lot about uh, the way people express violent thoughts in another part of the country. I I can't do a lot about uh, gun issues and people's feelings about being armed, especially in another part of the country. And so what I can do and what I probably talk about doing is is trying to find a way that I can deal with the sources of anger within myself, how I can, can cease to do violence and so can extend that in some way. As I left my friend, I realized I was not entirely happy with my answer to his question. Um, and it's partly because I'm not always sure if I'm answering that question the right way or not. How do we respond to the events of our day? Um, Do we respond out of our gut feeling and do something quickly, aggressively, surely, confidently? Or do we sit back and mull it over and pray about it? Do we wait? I think as I've thought about my conversation with my friend, it's occurred to me just how much waiting I do. I do a lot of waiting, and it's, it's not an empty waiting. It has content. I'm praying, I'm, I'm reading, I'm, I'm doing things, but I am waiting. In, in many ways, I'm waiting on God. I like scripture praise, like the church increasingly prays as we move toward Christ the King Sunday and then the beginning of Advent, uh, the end of the Christian year, the beginning of a new one. I, I pray for God to come back, to get busy, to make people pay and raise up the lowly and the oppressed. You know, make justice happen now. Uh, my prayer is as current as that of the early church and throughout scriptures. I want God to come and get busy and get things right. And so while I wait for God, I'm also aware of how much I hate waiting in everyday life. Don't we all? I don't want to wait in line for coffee. I don't want to wait on the train to come. I don't want to wait in traffic. 
I don't want to wait on those larger things. I don't want to wait on test results from a doctor. I don't want to wait on an appointment with the specialist that comes weeks later, only to arrive at the appointment and be told calmly, the doctor's running an hour and a half behind schedule. I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait for the Department of Buildings of the City of New York. I don't want to wait for any of these things. We all know waiting can be full. It can be full of faith, full of prayer, full of of richness. But it also can be empty. Waiting can become an excuse. Waiting can become procrastination. It can be empty and fruitless. Waiting is worthless when it becomes an excuse for doing nothing. And we probably can think of examples of that kind of procrastination too. I think of a couple who who knows they have an issue to work out, an issue to think about and talk about, but they focus on something else, a new house, having a child, a better job, a move, more income. They focus on anything but the problem in their communication or in their loving, their living. We think of those issues with ourselves. We might feel an ache or a pain, and so we pray it away. We think it away. We pretend it away. And sometimes we wait until too late to see the doctor, and then it's gotten out of control. Sometimes we think of smaller things, hobbies or skills. We we talk about improving or building, but we think, well, one day I'll have more time. One day I'll retire. One day something will change. But we never know. Will that day come? (laughs) The stock market might intervene, or there's a sickness, or there's any number of unpredictable obstacles, and the waiting just doesn't work out. Well, the gospel today, as, as strange as it may sound, has a lot to say about waiting, and waiting fruitfully. It has something to say about being alert and being prepared and and getting things done that need to be done along the way in the waiting. In this gospel, Jesus teaches that if we wait for the future but do nothing in the meantime, the future is going to be upon us and we'll be caught unprepared and unaware. A wedding feast in Jesus' day often involved traveling around from house to house and place to place. In some ways, in our day, we've renewed this practice when so often a wedding will be at one time and then there's a, a gap of a few hours before the reception happens. And we wonder what to do in that reception. I found myself at a wedding like that a year or so ago, and I wondered, you know, do I have time to get a meal? Do I go shopping? What do I do? Do I just go to Starbucks and read? I've got two hours before the reception. Well, it was a little bit that way in Jesus' day. There was some in-between time. And so that's what happens in today's story. There's a whole, a whole bridal party. The bridesmaids are waiting on the bride and groom to, to do their parade and come back. But then half the bridesmaids are ready for the return. The other half have done something else. They've wasted their time. They've not thought ahead. They've not prepared. They don't have enough oil in their lamps. 
There are all sorts of ways we could think about that, that through being unprepared, they lose their ability to see. They're stumbling around in darkness. They can't see their options. They can't see what's ahead. Whereas the prudent bridesmaids, they've done what they need to to get enough. And so their oil lamps are burning bright. They can see what's going to happen. They can be ready. They can act with purpose and calm and confidence. Jesus tells this story to his followers about the nature of waiting. And so surely from that day onward, they were remembering and retelling this story. When the Gospel of Matthew comes along some years later, another generation later, really, Matthew's goal is different from Jesus's. Matthew is trying to assure his church that Jesus is coming back, even as he said. But people were impatient, 30, 40, 50 years, and they were wondering, well, when's he coming? (laughs) Much more, a couple of thousand years. When's he coming? (laughs) What do we do in the meantime? Do we do like some of those early followers and find a good cave and go and light candles and pour over scriptures and pray in it and just stick together and wait together? Or do we sort of take matters into our own hands, sort of like the extreme out of the the Lutheran part of the Reformation we talked about a few weeks ago, and, and bring the kingdom of God now in our midst, we'll do it, and wait for God to ratify later? Or are we somewhere in between, sometimes acting, sometimes reacting, sometimes pausing, sometimes going ahead, sometimes getting it wrong, sometimes getting it right, but mulling along in faith? In our gospel, the bridegroom eventually shows up. Throughout scripture, the bridegroom is a symbol for Jesus Christ. And so the church is that which waits, sort of like the bridal party, for Jesus to come back. We wait for Christ to return in the end of times, whatever that may look like. We might follow it poetically and dramatically, like scripture paints the picture and like stained glass shows it sometimes. And sure enough, maybe Christ comes back that way. Or maybe Christ comes for us at our own death. Or maybe Christ appears all along the way when we're open to him. Who knows when the kingdom of God in Christ personified breaks in for us. The question is, will we be ready? Will we be open? Will we be alert enough to see and notice and receive? Faithful waiting involves all sorts of things, but at least I think it involves prayer, it involves leaning on others, and it involves acting with faith. The gospel suggests we fill our lamps. We prepare ourselves by filling ourselves with the good things of life, with prayer and study of the things of God, with worship together, with with the sacraments that fill us with good things, especially when so much in our world seeks to fill us with bad things. And so we pray. We pray like never before. We pray that God would show us what to do and when to do it. We pray that God would give us what we need to equip us to do God's will. And we lean on others. Notice that it's not just one wise maid who's smart enough to go to Costco and get the deal on oil and bring it back. But they group together. They get it together. And so we do our best together. 
Yes, we pray to God one-on-one, but we also lean on each other. We look around for help. Am I hearing God correctly? Should I do this thing? We test it in community. That's what separates faithful action from so many of the crazy things we see in the news or in history of our religion or others, where people go off on their own, feeling isolated, feeling pushed out, feeling cut off. How do we stick together and be faithful? We lean on one another. And finally, we act on faith. We take a step with our our lamp burning brightly and we move ahead to receive Christ as he comes to the door. Sometimes we leap forward. Sometimes we, we risk. Sometimes we invest of ourselves. We prepare for the future feast of God by savoring each day as a gift, by taking each new day as an extraordinary morsel of food, letting it rest on the tongue, letting each day be tasted and smelled and touched and loved and shared and enjoyed. And so each day becomes a sacrament unfolding as Christ welcomes us nearer and nearer and shows up for us. Way back in the fourth century, St. Basil, who became a bishop in the early church, preached like thunder. His words are old, but they sound new. He related all of this waiting to God, waiting for God, and action in a way that sort of hit his listeners between the eyes and the ears. In the fourth century, Basil preaches, What keeps you from giving now? Isn't the poor person here? Aren't your own warehouses full? Isn't the reward promised? The command is clear. The hungry person is dying now. The naked person is freezing now. The person in debt is beaten now. And yet you wait till tomorrow. I'm not doing any harm, you say. I just want to keep what I own, that's all. You own? You own like someone who sits down in a theater and keeps everyone else away, saying that what is there for everyone's use is your own. If everyone took only what they needed and gave the rest to those in need, there would be no such thing as rich and poor. That, the sermon of St. Basil on the Gospel of Luke in the 4th century, it still preaches, doesn't it? (laughs) To all of us, that yes, there are times for waiting. There are times of of mulling things over. There are times of discernment. And we have 2,000 years of Christianity teaching us how that can be done with faith and love. But there are also times of acting in both cases, and especially in the middle, may we always be sustained by the words of the psalmist that we might taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are blessed, and blessed are those who put their trust in God. May we always and everywhere remember to to pray, to lean on each other, and to act in faith when called upon. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.